0: Good morning, everybody. I hope you're all well, getting buckled down for this afternoon's storms. That'll be a nice one. But uh, thank you, praise team. Great job today. Hey, we're going to, yes, give them a hand. Yep, yep, yep. Um, We're continuing in our series from Core 52 today, and uh, this series that we're doing of sermons called A Beginner's Guide to Greatness, and we're going to be considering Jesus as a leader. And how we need to be leaders like Jesus. Uh, now, to get there, I, I thought about this one particular leader. And uh, he's a, a leader that I really didn't know a lot about till I saw a movie called Braveheart. Anybody seen that movie called Braveheart? William Wallace was a Scottish leader who fought against the English to bring freedom to his homeland of Scotland. But he had this uphill battle. For one thing, the English had this powerful army and they had many more resources than the Scots did. But the other problem was that the English paid off the Scottish noblemen with lands and titles. So it was very hard to get any traction to fight against them. So in this one uh, scene, you have William Wallace speaking to the Scottish noblemen And he said to them, there's a difference between us. You think the people of this country exist to provide you with position. I think your position exists to provide these people with freedom. And I go to make sure that they have it. Um, William Wallace saw himself as a servant of the people, not a leader to be served by the people. And this is the kind of leadership that Jesus modeled as well. And we call this servant leadership. This is often not the leadership we see modeled in the world. Most leaders are seeking after position or power uh, or how they can use people to achieve their own personal goals. They don't see themselves as being instruments to help others achieve their goals. So they lead from the top down sometimes ruthlessly and selfishly. In order for us to become the kind of Christian leader that God desires, we need to follow the model that Jesus set and exemplified. And by His model, we learn that a true leader seeks to serve, not to be served. Think about that. A true leader seeks to serve and not to be served. It's a very simple concept, isn't it? Now, there are two views of leadership that we're going to see in our text. And the first view is the worldly model. Leadership is for personal gain. What can I get out of this? Again, I, I call this the worldly model because many people in the world adopt this position of leadership. I would think this might be a more common view of leadership in our culture. It's a position of power, a position of authority. People are here to serve me, to provide for me whatever I command. Uh, In Mark 10, we see these two brothers, James and John, and they're sort of seeking that kind of position of power. In verse 35, we begin reading, We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, Well, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Sort of sounds like climbing the corporate ladder, doesn't it? (laughs) You may not have realized that the corporate ladder existed with the disciples too, and yet here it is. Frequently we read through the Gospels how these, the disciples would argue amongst themselves about who would be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. And when we think about the corporate ladder, we, we think about climbing over people. You know, we think about using other people to get to where we want. Ambition, I will say, is not necessarily a bad thing, as long as my motivations are right. If I am ambitious to become the best I can be, to grow a business, to lead out of a desire for good, then I think ambition is a good thing. But selfish ambition we know is clearly defined in Scripture as sinful. It is listed right there with the other sinful acts of idolatry and hatred and jealousy and fits of rage and so on. The Bible warns us against selfish ambition. In Philippians 2, 3, we read, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. James shares in James 3.14, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Well, too often, this desire to climb that ladder or to be a leader is, is fostered out of selfish ambition. So the problem, as the Scriptures point out, is that selfish ambition can lead to disorder and other evil practices. In a setting where people are clamoring for the top positions, what happens? What what is going to inevitably happen? Well, they're going to stab each other in the back. And people can be ruthless, and they will try to destroy each other. And if you think about it, a lot of crimes occur as a result of selfish ambition. Someone has what somebody else wants, and they decide they're going to take it no matter what it takes. People lie. They cheat. They steal in order to get ahead. People take advantage of others without any care or concern about that person. And all of this is a result of selfish ambition. Even the disciples were susceptible to this sin, as we read here. But we also read about the disciples, again, arguing about who would be the greatest among them. Just before James and John uh, went to make their request to Jesus, the disciples Had been arguing. You look in the previous chapter of Mark and you go to verse 33 in Mark 9. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? Jesus is asking them. But they kept quiet because on the way they had been arguing about who was the greatest. He knew what they were arguing about. Understand what was happening. They were trying to debate about who would be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. And from that argument, it seems that James and John took it to another level, right? They had selfish ambition. They thought Jesus would form His government, and they would be the leaders alongside of Jesus. Our text records that James and John asked Jesus if they could take these places of honor and power by sitting at his right and on his left when his kingdom came into power. Matthew records that it was actually their mother who approached Jesus, Salome. And it would make sense that the brothers would put their mother up to this since she might have more influence on Jesus, because it's very likely that Salome was Jesus' aunt and they were Jesus' cousins. Plus, it would look a little less prideful, wouldn't it, if the mother made the request instead of the boys? Jesus saw this and he spoke directly to them. He knew what was going on. James and John were seeking the seats at Jesus' right and Jesus' left. What did that mean in that culture? It doesn't mean much in our culture, but in that culture it meant a lot. The seats to the right and left of the king were the highest positions of honor and respect and power next to the king. They were expecting Jesus to form His earthly government, and they wanted to be the top officials in His government. They were trying to beat the other disciples to the punch. Now, did they do this because they wanted to serve or because they wanted to be served? I sort of think it was the latter because of what Jesus had to explain to them. And in Jesus' explanation, we see the biblical model of leadership leadership is for opportunities. To serve. This, again, the biblical model. Putting others ahead of self may not sound like good corporate principle, but it certainly was the principle that Jesus set forth. As we read in verses 42 through 45 of Mark 10, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles... Lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I love the way Jesus would rebuke his disciples. This is a gentle rebuke. He didn't take the sledgehammer and crack them over the head. He didn't stomp on them say, you idiots, what are you doing? Now, they were not to be like the rest of the world. That's what Jesus is saying. This is the way the Gentiles do. Not so with you. Jesus described the corporate ladder and selfish leadership in His time as the rulers of the Gentiles lording it over those that they ruled, and the high officials exercising authority over them. Jesus didn't want His disciples to act like this, especially when His kingdom was set in place. And what would His kingdom be? It would be the church. The church must be different in this world. And those who are Christian leaders must act differently than worldly leaders. We mentioned the arguing that had been going on before James and John approached Jesus. When that happened, Jesus handled it this way. Going back to Mark chapter 9 and looking at verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and He said... Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So they had heard this before, right? He took a little child whom He placed among them. And taking the child in His arms, He said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in My name welcomes Me. And whoever welcomes Me does not welcome Me but the One who sent Me. So Jesus, again teaching his disciples how to be leaders, but how to be servants. He explained that anyone who desired to be first must be the servant of all. And he used this object lesson of a child. If you welcome a child like this, you welcome me. Now, you know, if you're trying to climb the corporate ladder, you're not worried about children. Children aren't going to help you, right? A child is not climbing the corporate ladder. The child couldn't care less. The child isn't vying for a position of power. But you should lead by your willingness to serve this child. The child can't pay you back. They have no power, no authority to help you in your climb. If you humble yourself, you become a leader Jesus wants you to be. So Jesus set the example. Going to John chapter 13, we read about Jesus' view here. In verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, wrapped a towel around His waist, And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Then go down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You see, the Son of God who has all power and all authority, came to these men and washed their feet. These same guys who had been arguing amongst themselves about which one of them was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus bows down and washes their feet. There's a lot of irony in that, isn't it? Jesus came to serve which reminds us of Mark 10:45 our memory verse for this week for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus looked at leadership as an opportunity to serve others has there ever been a greater leader in the history of the world than Jesus I say no. So let us learn from the greatest leader. And as we apply this today, as we adopt Jesus' principles of leadership in our own life, I want you to think about that word, serve. And each letter in that word, I think, can stand for something that describes the kind of service that we need to be giving. May I suggest what serve should mean to us as Christian leaders? S stands for sacrifice. Give yourself. Don't ask others to do what you are unwilling to do. I read about the uh, JetBlue CEO uh, who was CEO until 2007. He was the founder and CEO, David Nealman. Uh, And, you know, he could have basked in the glory of the number one ranking of the new airline industry. They received the Airline Quality Rating Award, number one of all airlines. But he was too busy doing what he calls servant leadership, what we've been talking about. When he would fly around the country on JetBlue airplanes, which he would do regularly, He was just one of the crew members. He passed out snacks. He gave out blankets with the flight attendants. He would sit in the cockpit and chat with the pilots. And he would join the team that would clean the planes. This is the CEO. And he said, you can't ask employees to do something you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. In 2002, his salary at JetBlue, the CEO got $200,000 with a $90,000 bonus. But he donated that entire salary to the JetBlue Crew Member Crisis Fund, which was established for JetBlue employees who had fallen on hard times. I think Mr. Nealman understood the principle of sacrifice as a leader. Through that sacrifice, we learn to serve as Jesus served. The E in that word serve stands for encourage, show appreciation. You might remember the movie Side about a young uh, football player uh, who was basically adopted by this family. Sean and Leanne Toohey, uh, they're the real-life couple portrayed in that movie. And they shared the following story in their book, In a Heartbeat there is a little-known congressional program that awards internships to young people who have aged out of the foster care system. These are kids who are never adopted and are no longer eligible for state support. So, a senator that the couple met shared this story with him. Uh, he employed one such man as an intern. One morning... the senator breezed in for a meeting, and he discovered that the intern was already in the office reorganizing the entire mailroom. And the senator said to this young intern, this is amazing. The mailroom has never looked so clean. You did a great job. A few minutes later, the senator saw the intern, and he was crying. He had tears streaming down his face. And the senator said, son, are you okay? And The intern said, yes. He said, did I say something to offend you? No, sir. No, sir. Well, what's wrong? And the young man said, that's the first time in my life anyone's told me I did something good. Think about that. The two comment on this. A little bit of attention and a kind word. That's how little it takes to affect someone's life for the better. Encouragement, friends. I agree with that. A little bit of encouragement goes a long way. As leaders, we can browbeat people, but I don't see Jesus doing that. He, even when these two numbskulls came to Him and said, hey, make us the greatest in the kingdom. No, He didn't jump down their throat. He explained to them what true leadership was, and He modeled it for them. I want to encourage all of you to be that kind of leader. The R in serve stands for reflect Christ. Ask how Jesus would lead in that situation. I read about a woman, Cheryl Batchelor. Maybe you've heard of her. She was the CEO of Popeyes from 2007 to 2017. And during that time, she turned her company around with a focus on serving others. Now, she is a committed Christian in the workplace. And she authored a book called Dare to Serve, How to Drive Superior Results by Serving Others. The Bible verse that is on her desk every day is Philippians 2:3, And she says, because I haven't found one that's more paramount to how I want to lead in my family and in my work. And that is, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. She says, I really like the choice of words around counting others more significant than yourselves. I believe we're all born with an inner two-year-old, and we'd really still like to be laying on the floor, kicking and screaming because we didn't get the candy bar we wanted. It's pretty hardwired that we're self-absorbed little people. And we learn to fake it well, but we're still pretty much that two-year-old on the inside. I find that biblical perspective really challenging in every aspect of my day, she says. How I'm spending my time, the decisions that I make, to put them through a filter of whether I'm thinking about myself or whether I'm thinking about others. Am I doing this because I get a bigger bonus check? Or am I really thinking about the long-term interest of this company? Am I doing this truly for my franchise owners? Or am I getting some personal benefit that I haven't been willing to acknowledge? Those kinds of provocative self-mirror questions hold you to a higher standard. She continues, I always say servant leadership is an aspiration because you can never really claim you've arrived. Because as soon as you do, someone will find you. And in a trap of self-interest, it's something you're always working towards. Now, I like the idea that she shared about asking ourselves these questions. Am I leading like Jesus would? Am I treating people the way Jesus would treat people? Having some self-reflection can cause us to reflect even more upon Jesus and His leadership style. And as we reflect upon Him and we model Him, we actually reflect Him or reveal Him to those that we serve. The V in the word serve stands for value people over profits. The bottom line it's not prophets, it's people. We certainly see that in Jesus. He valued people who were disvalued in His culture. I mean, you just look at these disciples Jesus picked. They probably wouldn't be the ones that a CEO today would pick to be in His inner core team. Even the disciples uh, were uh, not highly influential people of their culture Most of them were lowly fishermen. There was a hated tax collector. Most were uneducated. And yet Jesus picked them. He served those in His community who were servants of the rich and powerful. He touched lepers that nobody wanted to be around. He forgave the prostitutes. He fed the hungry and the poor. Yes, Jesus valued them all. Looking again to Cheryl Batchelor, the CEO of Popeyes, we see how important valuing people is to an organization. When when she was named CEO in 2007, profit was in the negative for the company. The company's stock price had taken a nosedive from $34 in 2002 to $13 by the time she came on board. The brands suffered. Franchise owners were running around with their hair on fire. Uh, By 2014, Popeyes had done a 180-degree turn. Sales were up 25 percent. Profits were up 40 percent. Market share had grown from 14 percent to 21 percent, and the stock price was over 40 dollars. The franchisees were giddy with the turnaround began reinvesting in the brand, many remodeling their restaurants and building new ones around the world. What was the difference? Batchelor says it was a conscious decision to create a new workplace with rigorous measures in place where people were treated with respect and dignity yet were challenged to perform at the highest level. She says silos were broken, managers began to listen, and self-serving leaders went bye-bye as corporate, uh, collaboration increased. Workers were valued. The leaders who value the people over the purse will greatly improve their organization. In the church, those of us who are leaders must value the people. And I encourage you, value people over everything. The final E in SERVE stands for enrich. Invest in others. Develop other leaders. We must enrich the lives of those we serve. Let me quote someone. You are not here to merely make a living... You are here in order to enable the world to live more amply, with greater vision, with a finer spirit of hope and achievement. You are here to enrich the world, and you impoverish yourself if you forget the errand. These are the words of a man that maybe you don't remember his name, but you will remember his story. Aaron Ralston. Anybody remember that name? He is the young man whose arm got caught between two boulders as he was hiking through a Utah canyon. He would later write a book entitled Between a Rock and a Hard Place. What a great name for a book. His story was also made into a movie, 127 Hours. Aaron had to make a choice. He had no cell phone service. No one knew where he was. He was miles from the nearest population or medical facility. He was stuck, and he knew that by the time anyone found him, he would have starved to death, and he would die. How could he extract himself from that situation? The only solution that he could come up with was to cut off his own arm with the pocket knife he carried with him. Which is exactly what he did. He had to do it. And he would find his way back to people and to life. So speaking at his alma mater, Carnegie Mellon's graduation service in 2013, he said this about the incident. If you doubt for one second that you would do it for yourself, ask, what wouldn't you do to get back home to your closest loved ones? Because the will to love says we're not just here on this earth to enrich our own lives. We're here to enrich the lives of others. So get out there and save the world. Amen, Aaron. Amen. Save the world. That's what every one of us have as a challenge from Jesus as all of us can lead others to know Christ and the salvation that He offers. So, friends, let's lead like Jesus led. Let's serve others in love in the name of Jesus. Father, thank You for the servant leadership that Jesus taught and lived. Help us to see the people that we serve to make our bottom line people rather than position or power or profit. Give us opportunities, Father, to serve and to save. May we serve in such a way as to draw other people unto the greatest leader and servant who ever lived. And His name is Jesus, and it's in His name that we pray. Amen.